The first church that I served uh, as a pastor was uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was a youth pastor at the time, and we just had one kid when we started there. Uh, this is about a little over 10 years ago when we started, and we had a, a pass to the Indianapolis Children's Museum. It was a wonderful city. We really enjoyed living there. Uh, very fun city, a lot of fun history and, and things to do, but the Indianapolis Children's Museum is the world's largest Five stories, it's almost too much to take in when you go there. And uh, we had, you know, a pretty little kid at the time, but I remember walking into one of the uh, exhibits, and it was a history of video games. And I come from a video game playing generation. This was exciting to me, and I'm looking, I'm seeing the Atari 2600 and the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, and I'm looking, having this nostalgic childhood moment. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute. This all looks old to these kids. This makes me look old to these kids. They pulled one over on me. And, uh, you know, I grew up playing video games. I, I grew up with the, the PC, the personal computer, was just becoming personal as I went through school. And it was just barely coming into classrooms. And they were what we would, by today's standards, highly primitive. Uh, by their own standards, they were really cool, right? I remember when I was a kid, like and a, a joystick and a button, that was video games. And that was awesome back then. Now you compare that to what's in your pocket on your smartphone and the graphics and the computing power. Um, it's, it's remarkable. And you look back and those old video game systems seem so quaint and so old and retro and outdated. Um, and... and they were the coolest cutting-edge thing at the time. And we'll think that about the things right now in our pocket. They're the coolest cutting-edge things, but they'll one day look old and quaint and outdated. And how easy we tend to forget our past, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how easy it is we tend to forget and take for granted where we were and how we got to where we are now? Now, you can use a lot of different examples for that. And for me, video games was an interesting way to think about this. And I'm a target market for video games now, even today, as many of my age peers are, because we still play them. But we easily take for granted where we've been and forget even where we came from and how we got where we are today, especially if it's better now than it was then. And we think better is, is you know, now is better too often and forget the past. We're going to look at Psalm 100 today. The whole thing we're going to read the whole psalm, and I encourage you to find the whole psalm right now, all five verses of it. And we're going to work through all five verses of that psalm today together. And the psalmist knows that we forget our past. And we forget particularly the blessings of our past. We forget our origins all too easily. And the psalmist has a simple message for us this morning when it comes to remembering or forgetting your past. Don't. Don't forget your past. Don't forget your creator, redeemer, and sustainer. In fact, count up the ways you have to praise. That's what the psalmist is going to tell us today. And the psalmist will give us three commands to shout, to know, and to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And the reality this morning is that you are God's. Do you believe it today? You are God's. You're cherished by God. God actually loves you and wants a relationship with you and has blessed you and me, whether we realize it 
or not. And the simple truth among many that I think comes out of this, a basic truth of this, is that we remain faithful to God through praise. This is how we mark it in our lives. God, I'm going to remember, and I'm going to let out my thankfulness to you because of how you've made me and where you've brought me, because of how you've blessed me. I have a lot to be thankful for. We remain faithful to God through praise. So let's look at Psalm 100. And I know I asked you to turn to it, and I'm going to ask you to not look at it for just a moment. Just listen, and then we'll work through the parts and pieces. And I'm actually going to use uh, uh, the complete Jewish Bible today because I think it will give us fresh eyes for hearing a familiar passage for many of us. And we would treat this more like a paraphrase because it's a one-person translation, but I think it's very good, and it will be close to what you have, but just with enough freshness for us to hear. So listen to it for just a moment. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout for joy to Adonai, all the earth. Serve Adonai with gladness. Enter his presence with joyful songs. Be aware that Adonai is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. His people, the flock in his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For Adonai is good. His grace continues forever. And his faithfulness lasts through all generations. Let's take the first two verses then. You can look at your your Bibles now or your phones, however you're reading this morning. Shout to joy or with joy to Adonai, all the earth. Serve Adonai. Worship, some of you might have, and the beginning uh, uh, of this is going to sound different for a number of your translations, actually. But worship or serve Adonai with gladness. Enter his presence with joyful songs, it says. So what's the first thing that the psalmist tells us that we're supposed to do? We are supposed to shout or worship. Shout to Adonai. Uh, If you're going to do that, and when it gets to, by the way, that serve word in verse 2, many of you have worship. Uh, serve is a good term for that there because it's a very technical worship term used of the rites and rituals that go into uh, worshiping God that you would read in, let's say, Leviticus. Um, It's getting at the specifics of that behind the term. But if you're going to shout something, this is not something you're trying to keep a secret. If you shout it out, you're making some kind of public statement or public confession. You're letting it be known what's going on, what you believe. You're praising, in this case, is what the psalmist is telling us to do. And who are you praising but Adonai? We see that often in our English translations as Lord, L, small capital R, D, or something like that in your translations. Adonai simply means that, Lord, Master, Ruler, Owner. That's what Adonai is. It's used throughout the Old Testament as a title for God, as the one who owns it all who rules over it, the sovereignty, really, of God over God's creation. And God is the one who then commands his creation. We can see in something like Psalm 16.2, what this means is, I say to the Lord, Psalm 16.2 says, You are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. That is, apart from God, what do we have? Nothing worth having. That's what the psalmist is saying. We, you were to shout for joy to Adonai, serve him with gladness. Why? Because he's the giver of all good things. We're blessed because of him, and without him, we wouldn't be blessed. 
And what's interesting about that term, Adonai, I don't want to make too much of it, but, but if you go all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the creation story that we read in Scripture, and you get to that first name of the first person, Adam, I'm not a Hebrew person. I don't really know the language other than just reading about it. But I know that there's a play on words that goes on when the creation of humans happens. Adam and Adam, that, that whole, that's basically human is what the word kind of means. And it's playing on the idea of human and Adam in that original. But, but Adam sounds very close. Human sounds very close to the root word for Adonai, Adon. And I think it's an interesting thing that we are created in God's image. We're given some godness, if you will. We're not God, but we're given characteristics that God gave to us like creativity and, and love and all these things that God has put into us. So, but sometimes we can get a little confused and we can think, Adam or Adon, who's in control here? Is Adam a human? Am I in control? Or is God really the one that's in control, the one who created it all, who gave us some infusion of himself, but not all of himself? Who's in control? The proclamation of the psalmist is that God is in charge. That's why we would praise God versus ourselves. God is in charge and not me. And better yet, I'm better for it. That's what the psalmist is leading us to. Let's remember this. Every good thing comes from God. I'm better for the fact that he's in charge and I'm not in charge and I live under his authority. That's where the psalmist is pointing us. Let's go on to verse 3 where the psalmist keeps going on. It's kind of in the same strain of thought. It says, be aware, know, some of you might have, that Adonai is God. It is he who made us and we are his, his people, the flock in his pasture. What are we supposed to do then? So far we're supposed to praise Adonai, the psalmist has said, or shout to Adonai. Second, we are supposed to know or be aware that Adonai is the one who's actually in control. To mark it, to regularly live out the fact that Adonai is in control. And so the question that's asked of the people who are to praise, of the praiser is, is your life a testimony to the fact that you belong to God? Does it not just come out of your mouth, but does it scream out of your actions and your attitudes? God is my Adonai. I'm under his authority and rule. Or is there a battle between those two that goes on between you and God? A number of years ago, I, I did six months as a hospital chaplain. And I never want to misrepresent that. I was a chaplain intern, but the way they do chaplain interns is they throw you in the deep end, so you're essentially functionally a chaplain. There's no safety net in a lot of ways. Uh, you just do it. Now, I found out that this is not... It, I, being a hospital chaplain isn't my specific skill set, although I can do the, some of the chaplaincy duties. But I have high regard for those who do this as a career and can do it, and they're gifted and skilled. Wow, it's a special calling, and it's an amazing calling. But I remember as I was... I was this is 11 years ago or so now... Um, I was just kind of getting my feet wet in ministry in many ways. And I would walk into people's rooms when you're called as a chaplain. And, and this was a, it was an area of uh, western suburbs of Chicago, very diverse area. Um, and you wouldn't always know what you're going to walk into in these situations. But I remember realizing along the way that I wasn't praying with the patients at all. Really any of them. I was going in, I was finding out things, but I really wasn't praying with the patients at all. 
And I, I kind of thought about it further, and, and one might look at that and say, wow, that seems like you're being very sensitive to the patients, right? Because we were trained in how to pray. We had to pray uh, in the morning and in the evening if you were on shift over the loudspeakers. Um, and, you know, they gave us some sensitivity on how to pray. Like, don't pray, you know, in the blood of Christ in a hospital. Like, that's probably not a good idea, you know, and, and, and things like that. Just be smart in your language because a patient might be, you know, dealing with something. So pray in a way that's not going to be uh, difficult for somebody to take in. But really what I discovered is I was just afraid. I really was. I was just afraid to put myself out there and pray with people I didn't know. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to shut me down? And I started to change over time. But it's one of those moments where you're confronted with who's in control here? Who's the master in my life at this point? Me, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to do this thing that God has actually called me to do, has actually asked me to do in this case, to serve in this way and with these people. It doesn't mean to be offensive in prayer or to, to pray in a way that, you know, to offer it, and not to push it on somebody, but it still needs to be offered. And most of the time people would take it. Who's in control through my actions in my life? So what are we supposed to do? The psalmist says we're supposed to praise Adonai. We're supposed to know Adonai. Be aware that he's got market in your life. By showing and revealing that God is in fact the master and the one in control, not me. I follow his ways. And it's, it's through that we remain faithful, you see, through, by, to God through our praise. As we do that, as we let it out towards God. Now, where are we to do this? So we know what we're supposed to do at this point. Where do we do the praising and the knowing of Adonai? The psalmist goes on in verse 4. He says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Enter which gates are we supposed to enter? Well, the temple most likely is what's in mind here. Could be the tabernacle. Probably the temple is what's in mind. Uh, and the way that God had commanded Israel to construct their world when they left Egypt and when they had the tabernacle to start with, that's the central place where God's presence would be uh, in that Holy of Holies portion. God's Shekinah presence would be there. And the camp was supposed to be constructed around the tabernacle with the other 11 tribes uh, around that and one tribe administering uh, the tabernacle itself. Everything that they did their whole life was geared around holiness and recognizing that God is holy, and they're supposed to live in a Godward direction and a holy direction, and when they're not holy, they need to somehow fix it, or they have to leave the camp for a while in order to become pure again in one way or another. When they finally get the temple set up, uh, life still revolves around temple, and, and that's where uh, you recognize God's holiness at play and whether you measure up or not. Now, I don't know about you, but as we go through this uh, season of Thanksgiving... There are some things that, that I wish um, that, that were different. Um, calories. Uh, anybody else wish they didn't count at this time of year? Especially as we go from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And you think, well, how many pieces of pie did I eat? I don't really regret them, but my body kind of thinks I maybe should, right? After a certain point in time. You kind of wish at least maybe calories came half price, Black Friday deal on calories, something would work out. We kind of wish a lot of things in life were different, right? Some of us would love to live in, in a different climate than we do. I'd love it to be warm or warmer all year long. Uh, but I'm one of those rare ones who would like that. 
Uh, some of us wish we had a better job uh, or we're looking for the pinnacle, the perfect job. Some of us just wish we had a more comfortable chair or more time to binge watch what we want to watch, right? We, we have these wishes and desires for things that, that we want in life. But we have some realistic desires sometimes too and goals that we can have in life. Uh, we can have sort of the realistic goals uh, as a parent. You want your kids to turn out a certain way or achieve certain things in life. Um, we want, pretty much everybody wants good relationships in life. Friendships, family, those things to work out right and well and be healthy. We want safe homes. We want to know that hard work, when we do a good job that it's going to be rewarded, commensurate with the work, right? That what we do is going to matter. But what's the reality that we often face? Relationships break. Homes get broken into. And sometimes people reap the rewards of, of our hard labor. We live in a world where things don't work out perfectly. And in fact, sometimes they just don't work out at all like we expected. Despite our best efforts, weeds will grow in the garden. No matter what we try, we can get some good harvest, but there's going to be something that seems wrong. And it's because of that that God asked Israel to build their camp around the tabernacle, to build their lives around the temple. It's because of that that he gave them regular sacrifices and offerings by which they could come and they could purify themselves because the expectation and the goal is here and real life is here and there's a big giant gap between the two. And God says, I want you here but you on your own can't make it. So I'm going to help you make up this deficit. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The reason they could do that, the reason the psalmist says that they can do that, is because God's given a way to make things right with him. And one day a year for Israelites, one day a year that temple really mattered more than any other on the Day of Atonement. That was the one day a year when all business stopped, when everybody looked to the temple. And on that particular day, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, the only day he could do that. And on that particular day, he would make atonement for himself, for his family, and for all of Israel, for the deficit between where they should be and where they are, how sin has stopped them from getting up to here. And on that day, repentance was supposed to happen, that they would turn from what took them away from God's holiness, sin, as it were. On that day of the year, ransom was paid to make up for the payment and the cost of sin that was in between here and here. On that day, that, and it was a symbolic payment of sin, a life given for the life that should have been given, because that's the penalty for sin is death. On that day, purification happened. A spiritual shower for the people, essentially, to cleanse them so it can stop the effect of sin in their life. And on that day, the Day of Atonement, the covenant relationship with God was renewed. All the festivals and things that they did all year long came together on one day to make one big accomplishment, to put the people right with God so that God's presence could remain with His people. The Day of Atonement was the day when they were made right with God, and that's what they're supposed to remember. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise, because even though you were wrong with God, God's made a way for you to be right with your Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, with the One who blesses you with every good thing, and outside of Him you would have no good things. 
That's why they enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. But it gets better because the physical temple was simply a representation of the bigger expanse of God's universe. And the atonement, the day of atonement that happened was simply a placeholder for the real atonement that was to come. Three scripture passages uh, that we can see here. Uh, I'll read them. I don't think they come up on the screen, but I could be wrong. Uh, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. You can see the expanse of the fact that the temple was simply representative of something else. It says, this is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Do you catch the furniture of heaven there? Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is my resting place? Where will my resting place be, God says? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. That is to say, it was always bigger than the temple. The universe is really God's palace temple. Second, we can catch with the Day of Atonement that in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, something bigger was always at play with that Day of Atonement. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, so now we can enter into the Holy of Holies, into God's very presence, whereas before that was just a limited factor. We can enter by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You see, atonement being made at one with God is accomplished through Jesus Christ. The universe is really God's temple. His presence is actually everywhere available to us. Atonement was accomplished through Jesus so that we could actually be in his presence. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He's been talking about sexual morality up until this point, And this finishes his thought, but it goes far beyond that issue. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We belong to Adonai. He's the one who made atonement. And then his Holy Spirit can indwell in us. So where do we praise God then? If that's the expanse of God's presence... Might I say everywhere? Everywhere, I think, is what the psalmist is actually telling us. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Well, where are his gates? They're, frankly, all over the place at this point. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Everywhere you go, you should be praising God. That doesn't mean you always have to be happy. Distinguish those two. But to praise God wherever we go for his goodness to us. I have a friend... Uh, who after uh, 40 years in one industry, uh, he retired and decided in retirement to work with uh, school students as a para. And uh, he's one of these people who, when Jesus got in, Jesus really got in, and you can see it in all of his actions and every single conversation. It's wonderful. And he's, he's careful in the public school environment that he's in, but he says, if it comes up, I can't stop talking about Jesus. So it's, it's very hard for me to shut that door off. He's, everywhere he goes... 
I can't stop talking about Jesus. I just have to do this. It just exudes out of the man. It's fun to watch. That's what's supposed to be happening with us. It should exude from us. We don't have to have every conversation about Jesus. I was talking about NASCAR before I came in here, and I was happy about that. But, but we should be able to praise God wherever we go. The psalmist is asking something about us then. Has the day of atonement hit you? Have you moved from death to life? Because that's the distinguishing factor at which time the Holy Spirit will come in, at which time we will be different and in God's presence, and at which time we'll be able to recognize and enter His gates with thanksgiving, because up until that moment we're not going to recognize how good God is until the day of atonement has hit me or you. And we've been made right with God. Finally, so, so we've got an idea of, of what and where we're supposed to praise. Why? Verse 5, it tells us, For Adonai, our master, our Lord, our ruler, for Adonai is good, his grace continues forever, and his faithfulness lasts through all generations. So what are we supposed to do? Praise Adonai. Shout to Adonai and shout out a public confession of our faith. We're supposed to know Adonai. Keep marking it in your life every day and know who he is. Reinforce that. Where are we supposed to do this? Everywhere you go, the praise should come out of you. But why are we supposed to do it? The psalmist reminds us in this last verse. Because Adonai is good, Adonai is merciful or gracious, and Adonai is faithful to a fault. It just keeps going on and on and on and on and on, his faithfulness through all generations. It means without end. There's never a day in which God will not be faithful. So we're to praise, and we're to know, and we're to worship everywhere we go, and we're to do that because of the the atonement that's occurred within us. We've been made right with God, and that is our experience. We're supposed to do this because we have experienced God and live under Adonai's rule. That's why we would do this. If you've experienced God's goodness, it's supposed to come out of you and testify to that. And even better, not just have we experienced it, should it come out, but we would praise and we would know and we would worship wherever we go God because we expect that it's only going to get better under God's rule. It's not going to get worse. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It means we know who's in charge and we live that way. And when bad things happen, we know that God's with us no matter what goes on. We expect that God's Future actions will only grow in greatness. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I don't want to miss out on God's mercy and God's goodness and God's faithfulness in the future, do you? So we experience it, but then we expect it to get better. We expect that God's got more in store, and it's only going to get better when we walk with Him. The psalmist knows, though, that sometimes we forget these things. The psalmist recognizes that, that we forget it. And the psalmist says, don't. Don't forget these things. Don't forget how good God is to you. Don't forget your creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Count up the ways you have to praise God. What are we to do? Praise Adonai. Shout it out. We're supposed to know Adonai. We're supposed to, everywhere we go, praise and worship our Lord and Savior, the one who is the giver of all good things, the shepherd of us, his flock, if we've been made one with him, we remain faithful to God 
through our praise. That's what marks God's goodness in our lives so we never forget. We let it out and praise our creator. Let's pray together now. Father, when we doubt and when we forget, will you forgive us? When we have taken for granted all the good things, when we've taken for granted even our treatment of one another and how that's connected to how you've created us, it's not disconnected. When we've taken for granted even our basic worldview of kindness and mercy, that those things are not natural apart from you. God, forgive us for forgetting. God, at this time when we have set aside specific moments to say thank you, we do today say thank you. But don't allow us to simply let today be the only day or this week to be the only week that we say thank you. God, may we mark it with our lives. May we praise you more and more in ever more places, in ever more parts of our lives. May we go home and be thankful for the many things around us, for the people around us. May we drive uh, to work on Monday and be thankful for the very vehicle that we get to work in, the roads that we drive on, the people we work with, even if we don't like them, food that we have to eat, the money that goes into the bank account, the clients that we have to work with, whatever it is, God. May we be a people who exude your goodness in our lives to those around us and we're thankful that we get this opportunity to be in this place among these people, and to become your people. May we be the grateful sheep in your flock, and may people recognize that we are yours, and we invite them to be yours as well. Father, let us be grateful people today, and praise your name. We pray this in your name. Amen.